Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Good morning, everybody. Uh, and I know the Lord's here with us. He's been here before we even got on the uh, Zoom here. So we're here. Let's stretch a minute. It's always good to loosen up the body and loosen up the spirit so we have ears to hear. So let's do this. We have the word. Uh, we have each other. And uh, let's just invite the Holy Spirit uh, to be with us in a special way. So, Father, we thank you uh, that you've not lost your voice over the centuries. Lord, you still want to speak to your children. Uh, and we believe, Lord, uh, you could speak through the, the Bible, the word that's right before us. And, Father, I just pray that as we read these verses, just a couple verses, uh, that you would breathe on them, Lord, and that you would apply them in our individual lives. I pray, Lord, that as we share you would highlight and lift up to each of us uh, the portion of scripture uh, that you are specifically addressing to us. Uh, and I thank you that you're going to do that. So, Lord, we just come together as your children. We seek your face through your word. And we thank you for meeting us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, What's kind of interesting today, most of the time, sometimes I'll read a scripture and there's like 40 verses to go, uh, but this is probably the shortest little chunk of scripture that I've done, so uh, it is going to be interesting. Uh, so it's in 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings, Kings chapter 4, uh, we're going to do verses 1 to 7. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow. Vessels as large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And it came about when the vessels were full. That she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. 
There you go. Four verses. So let's see what the Lord has in store for us on these. Okay. So before I just jump into chapter four here, uh, I want to give you a little background on Elisha. Uh, it's, he's a really kind of very interesting person. Uh, and we're going to kind of look at like, where is he first found in the Bible? So basically, I'm going to read some things. You don't have to go do all the turning, but let me just share. Uh, I'm going to turn here to 1 Kings 19 and verse 16. So we hear uh, about another great prophet, and his name is Elijah. And God sovereignly comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to find a successor. And he's going to be talking about Elisha. Uh, so it says this in 1 Kings 19, 16, uh, that basically Elijah is told, go to Jeru, the son of Nisha. You shall anoint him king over Israel. And here it is, and Elisha, the son of Shephah, Amabahala, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So Elijah is trying uh, to be able to begin to transfer his ministry to this younger fellow by the name of Elisha. And we're told, as it goes on in scriptures, that Elijah throws his mantle or his cape over Elisha. And what he's basically saying, okay, uh, Elisha, you're going to become my disciple. I know my time's limited. And before God takes me back to heaven, I need to prepare you to carry on the ministry. So it goes on a little bit further. Uh, and if you look at 2 Kings and chapter 2, we hear a little bit more as the story progresses. And it says that 2 Kings 2.1, it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, this is interesting with Elisha. Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So I basically believe Elijah is testing Elisha. He says, I got to move on. You just hang out here. And Elisha says, no way. I'm going with you. I'm sticking to you like Luke. And two other times after that, Elijah says, I'm moving on to the next town. You stay here. And Elisha says, no way. Wherever you go, I'm going. So three times, in a sense, Elijah is testing Elisha to see, okay, is this guy serious? Does he really want to be my successor? Does he want to follow on after me? And the story keeps going on uh, as it, he goes further. And uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, we read this. Uh, in uh, verse, let's see, verse 9, 2 Kings 2, 9, and just a little, you know, if you want, you can actually turn around uh, and look it up. It's right around the corner here before what we do today, and this is kind of the story of, of okay, how does it actually happen that Elijah hands the ball off to Elisha? So this is in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. 
Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taking from you. That's kind of interesting. Elijah says, okay, I'm out of here. Uh, you know, what, what do you want? And listen to what Elisha says. I, I love his response. Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. That's heavy duty. That is really heavy duty. He's saying, Elijah, I want double the anointing. And if you think about that, Elijah was used amazingly. If you look back in the stories before, Elijah confronts the, the, the prophets of Baal. Uh, he calls fire down from heaven. Uh, just amazing ministry. And Elisha says, what I want, I want double the anointing on me that God had on you. That's one big, big request. And it goes on further here. It says, uh, Elijah says this, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it will not be so. Then it came along as they were going along and talking that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind to heaven. Now that must have been a mind blower to actually see some kind of chariot come out of heaven. Elijah jumps in, he takes off, and I can just see uh, like Elijah with his mouth open, watching this all go up in the air. Okay, chapter 2, 12. And Elisha saw him, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, returned and stood by the river of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell upon him and struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Pretty good stuff. So that's kind of like a little bit of background. Elijah uh, is a mighty man of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit to carry on the ministry that Elijah the prophet had first started. And what's interesting, to give you an overview, we're going to center in on one miracle today, but I want to give you the overview because through the life of Elisha, he performs nine miracles. And let's be very clear, Elisha didn't do the miracles. He was only a channel through which God did the miracles through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's pretty cool to be a vessel through which God does nine distinct miracles. Let me just give you those to give you an overview. Then we're going to really center in on the one uh, on chapter four. So we saw number one miracle is... Elisha takes this cape and throws it over the Jordan River, and the Jordan River begins to open up. That's pretty cool. That's a big miracle. That's number one. Number two miracle, as we read on, Elisha goes to the city of Jericho, and the kings of Israel and Judah are fighting a battle against Moab. Moab's coming against them, but there's a real problem for Israel and Judah. They're, they're having a great shortage of water. And if they don't have water to quench their thirst, they're not going to fight the battle. They're going to be defeated. And basically, uh, we see what happens, that the water that they have 
is scarce, but it's also polluted. It's bad water. People can't drink it. So God uses Elisha to pray over the water, and the water that was undrinkable now becomes drinkable. That's number two, miracle. <clears throat> now, number three, miracle, uh, we see what happens is he now begins to, you know what? Hang on a minute. So I think I got miracle two and three maybe mixed up. Miracle two, he goes to Jericho and purifies the bad water. Miracle three, now I, I've got it uh, together. Moab's, Moab's coming against Israel. Israel and Judah are trying to fight Moab. They have no water. And here's what happens. Uh, basically, Elisha produces water for them without rain. Now, you figure that out. Literally, there's no water for Israel and Judah. And basically, there's no rain, and yet water shows up in the trenches. That is a big miracle. So that's number three miracle. Number four miracle is the one we're going to look at today, the, the widow and how he helps the widow. We have number five. Uh, there's an older woman that's very barren, and Elisha prays over her, and she has a son. That's miracle number four. Then <clears throat> number five, uh, the basically the son dies, and then basically, then Elisha prays over the son, a dead boy, and brings him back to life. Uh, let me give you that. That's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And then if you look at verse 34, uh, and this is what Elisha did. And he went up, he laid on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and hands on his hands. He stretched himself on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked into the house once back and forth, went up and stretched himself on him, and the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. Now, there's a heavy-duty miracle. He literally raises a dead boy to life. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then, basically, uh, the prophets are getting together. Uh, they're hungry. And we see another miracle happening. Uh, this is in chapter 4 and verse 38. By the way, you're going to see tomorrow the, the story I believe, of the, the boy that comes back to life. Thursday, you're going to look at the story uh, of this idea of the, the stew. But to give you just a quick highlight on that, uh, 438, when Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot, boil the stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from his lap full of wild gourds. And came, they sliced them in the stew, uh, but they didn't know what was in them. So they poured it out for the men to eat. It came about as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. Uh, in other words, <laughs> bad stuff is in there. They were unable to eat. And he said, Now bring meal. And he threw it into the pot, and he said, Pour it out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Another miracle. He's cranking out these miracles. One, two, three, four. <clears throat> now we look at another one. 
a miracle number eight. He prays for Naaman the leper, and he is healed. And number nine, uh, as we look further, this is not in our study in the next couple of days, but the prophets need to build a, a bigger place to live in. They're building, somebody's using an axe, and as they're cutting the wood, the top of the axe falls into the water, and they got to get that axe back because it was really important property. So guess what they, he does? He takes a stick, and basically he throws it into the water, and the axe head begins to float. Now, you try doing that one. Mike, you're a nice uh, person with a carpentry. If you can pull that one off, it would be very interesting. Okay. Nine miracles. Boom, 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 boom. Again, Elisha's only the channel, but he's doing these miracles. And here's one of my, my favorite ones. This is so cool. Elisha does a miracle when he's dead. Now, you figure out how do you do a miracle when you're dead? This is so neat. This is in 2 Kings chapter 13. And it's found in verses 20, 21. Catch this. And Elisha died and they buried him. Okay, so he's in the grave. Now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year. As they were burying a, a man, behold, they saw a marauding band. And they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. So basically, there's some kind of a grave there, some little marker. But they throw this man on top of the grave of Elisha, okay? And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Elisha was so filled with the spirit that even when he died... His bones were so uh, saturated with the spirit of God, the presence of God, that when this dead man hit his bones, the guy comes alive. So I want you to see that Elisha is one anointed prophet, one anointed prophet. So, so again, overview. He is the successor of Elijah, and he performs nine distinct miracles to prove to Judah and Israel and Moab and everybody else that there is a living God. Now we're going to center in on the specific miracle of the day we're looking at, and this is in 2 Kings chapter 4. Okay, so here it is. There's a lady that has some problems. Uh, 4.1, now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. So she's saying, hey, I just want you to know, uh, my husband's dead, but I mean, he was a God-fearing man. He's a good man. So he was leading the family spiritually, right? I'm a spiritual lady. My kids are spiritual. Just want you to know, uh, Elisha, that this is the background. And I have a great need. So he, he talks about the husband, he feared the Lord, and it says, and a creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So she's in a bad, bad, bad financial strait, okay? <clears throat> what can happen in Israel 
is if you get yourself in debt bad enough, your kids can be taken into slavery to pay the debt that you owe. Uh, that's in Leviticus chapter 25. It actually says that can happen. So if you need to pay back a debt, it's going to fall on your kids. They could be taken into slavery, and that's how your debt is paid. So at this point, uh, she's in a hard way. Number one, she doesn't want to see her kids go into slavery. Uh, none of us who have children want to see our kids, if, if we were back then, literally taken away from us, sent somewhere, and become slaves. She doesn't want that. And number two, uh, if indeed that happens, how's she going to have a livelihood? She has no husband. I mean, so she is in a financial bind, big time. And who knows? Uh, somebody on the screen here uh, basically may be in a financial bind as well. So it's a tough situation. And she lays that out before Elisha. Now, I think this is kind of interesting. Verse two, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? And like, <laughs> I could see her saying, well, duh. You know, I just told you, prophet. I'm in a big mess financially. Like, you know, what what shall I do for you? Like, help me. You know my problem. I'm financially strapped. Can you do anything about this situation? That's where she is. And I like uh, this. So he says, uh, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? <clears throat> so he says, okay, here's how we're going to handle your problem, lady. This is what I want you to do. Uh, what do you have in your house? And she said, well, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, oil is valuable. <clears throat> it can be used to make money if you sell it. But all she has is one little jar of oil. That's not going to cover her for hardly any time. But Elisha has a plan. So, he says to the lady, okay, here's the plan. Here's how we're going to take care of your need. Um, here's what I want you to do. Uh, verse three, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors. Even empty vessels, do not get a few. He says, I want you to get out here, get to your neighbors, your friends, <clears throat> and come back with vessels that are empty. And I think she's probably scratching her head. Okay. Um, what's that going to do? I mean, I have this little jar of oil. It's only going to probably go into one or two vessels, but you tell me to get all these. Now, I want you to see that the lady did act in faith on what the prophet said. She could have said, well, this makes no sense to me, and because it makes no sense, I'm not going to do it. You don't know what you're talking about, Elisha. You're just you're missing it. And she could have blown them off, but he said, do this. And guess what? She does it. Uh, and he, and he basically said, after you get all these vessels, verse four, you'll go in, shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels. And you so set aside what's full. Okay. So she shuts the door, all these vessels, these little containers are now in the house. The door shut. Okay, and now guess what happens? Uh, and it says, <clears throat> and she poured, it says verse three. So she went from him, shut the door behind her 
and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. So she keeps pouring from this little drawer, and keeps pouring oil into each one of these different vessels. Verse 6, and it came about when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's no uh, more vessels left. And the oil stopped. So get the picture. Here she is. They're in the house. You got all these little containers all through the house. And she just pours this little oil into one. And it's like, okay, son, get me another one. And she boils it. And, and, and she's, okay, get me another one. And, he, and she pours. Now, somewhere along the way, she's got to be thinking, like, this makes no sense. I only have this little jar, and it just it just seems to, it doesn't seem to empty. So that after they bring all these vessels, they come to the point, the son says, hey, we got no more. So she has all these containers filled with oil. Pretty, pretty neat. <clears throat> and verse 7. And then she came and told the man of God, and what did he say? What's Elijah's? Elisha say? Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So he basically says, hey, there's the answer. I want you to go sell all the oil, and that's going to get you out of the hole, out of the debt. But not only is it going to get you out of the hole and out of debt, and your, your sons no longer have to go into slavery, it says the rest of it you can live on. In other words, this was kind of like her, her savings bank, you might say, for the future. Now, what's interesting to me, it, it reminds me, as I'm reading this, almost as Jesus, when he multiplied the bread and the fish, right? Just had a, a couple loaves of bread, a few fish, and yet with that, he fed thousands. So God can do miracles. I mean, it's very clear. This is a just a very clear miracle here. Jesus did a miracle in the New Testament of a multiplying. Uh, so God's not limited in his ability. Now, as I'm looking at the story, um, I'm saying, okay, now, what, what's the point here? What's the takeaway for you and I? And I, I see two very clear takeaways, big time, okay? Number one. When we face emergencies, folks, you may be in an emergency right now. I can't imagine we got, what, 46 or so on the screen. Somebody in this group has to have some form of an emergency. And by the way, if you don't have an emergency now, you're probably going to have one somewhere in the future. Just That's the way life is. It's not always smooth and calm. There are storms that come into our lives. Out of the blue, there are emergencies. And... What are we going to do when they hit? So, <clears throat> so basically, uh, I asked myself the question, okay, um, how, how does he say to deal with this? I want you to see, number one, Elisha didn't say to her, hey, honey, you're financially strapped. You go out and you knock at the door on all your neighbors and your friends, and, and you beg them and say, hey, I'm, I'm in a mess. My sons are going into slavery. Help me, please, neighbors. He didn't say that. Number two, Elisha did not say, uh, by the way, hon, I'm going to go back to my house and I've got a bundle of money and I'm going to let you borrow the money. Okay, another option. He could have done that. Um, basically, uh, 
Elisha could have said, I see you guys are really strapped. Uh, it's so bad, I'm going to invite you to come live with me. Elisha doesn't do that. Elisha comes to this unique way of raising money for her by multiplying the oil. Now, I don't believe Elisha dreamed that one up on his own. I think Elisha, in his heart, when he heard the predicament, prayed. We don't see it here, but I believe he prayed in his heart and said, God, here's a need. It's a legitimate need. Lord, how do you want to meet the need? And God gave him this wild way of beating the need. I mean, this is like not the normal way to get somebody's need met. So, so here's the big deal. I believe when we face a miracle, we need to sense what is God's plan and what is his strategy to meet the need. When I need a miracle, we just don't go run around and say, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 this. It's like, Lord, I've got to calm myself down. I've got to sit. I've got to pray. Lord, what is your strategy? You know the need. You know the extremity I'm in. And it could be a financial need. It could be a medical need. It could be a relationship situation. It could be a dream that God put in your heart and it just hasn't come to pass. Uh, it doesn't matter. There's something, but I think we've got to get before God and say, God, what is your, what's your plan? Not my plan. I'm not telling you how to do this, Lord. How do you want me to handle this? How do you want to deliver the miracle for me? And I think that that's just so, so important. And God uses this wild way. Now, it's interesting. Uh, this idea of strategy plays out in, and you're not seeing it in our study here, but uh, Naaman the leper is, uh, I mean, he's a big shot in the army, and he's a leper. He gets word that in Israel, there's a prophet that has miraculous powers. I mean, you know, he does these nine miracles. So word's getting out not only in Israel and Judah, but it's spreading out to other countries. He gets word, hey, that, that maybe this prophet can, can heal me, okay? And he Naaman finds himself in the presence uh, of the whole Israel and the Judea area. He's there in the Jewish turf. And basically sends word to Elisha uh, about this. Uh, and it's interesting to me. Number one, Elisha doesn't pray for him. Number two, Elisha does not lay hands on this leper. Elisha tells Naaman to do something totally ridiculous that makes no sense at all. Uh, and basically, this is in 2 Kings, verse 5 and verse 10. And here's basically what Elisha says. And Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. That's all you got to do, Naaman. Just go to the Jordan River and wash seven times. You're good to go. You'll be healed. Naaman hears this, and he is ticked off. Like, you got to be kidding. 
this is the way you want me to be healed, to go in these muddy waters of Jordan? And he, he basically gets really wild. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. This is crazy. Why'd I come make the effort? But his servants go to name and say, look, chill it. If this is what the prophet asked you to do, do what he tells you to do. So guess what? Eventually, Naaman does that. Uh, this is chapter 514. So Naaman went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. That is one weird way to heal somebody. Just weird. And again, I think Elisha gets word. Naaman wants it. And instead of Elisha running in and doing what he thinks is right, I could, I just believe Elisha waited. God, what do you want me to do? And it's not my notes, but it just hit me now. Uh, there was a time in Jesus' ministry. Lazarus is extremely sick. Usually, Jesus gets word somebody's sick, and off he goes, boom, and heals. But at that point, Jesus, I'm sure, went to the Father. Okay, Father, my great friend Lazarus is sick. Okay, what should I do? Because Jesus never acted independently. He always said, Father, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And somehow, the Father communicated to Jesus, I don't want you to go and heal the man. Let him die. But I'm going to raise him from the dead. Again, not the normal strategy. So I think everything is so important. Instead of us telling God what to do, and so often in prayer, we're good at that. Lord, do this. God, heal this. God, do this for this person. God, da, da, da. And we tell God what to do. It'd be much more profitable for us not to tell God what to do, but to hear what God wants to say to us. The most important part of prayer is not what we say to God. It's what God says to us. And I just want you to know, and it might be where you're at. That is my growing edge right now as a Christian. It's just, I'm finding it is so important as I go through different situations in my life, like, Lord, how do you want me to handle these things? How do I hear your voice? And, and, and I've got them at times. I get itchy. I'm sitting there. Okay, Lord, what's on your mind? Uh, okay. You know, give him a little time and you don't hear anything immediately. And maybe you don't hear something in a week and, and maybe a couple of weeks go by and, and God doesn't seem to be speaking. Uh, it, it, it's challenging. It's challenging to learn to hear the voice of God. I think all of us as Christians, uh, it's not an easy journey. It's not a just, okay, here we are. I hear God's voice. I'm ready to go. It, it's a journey to learn to hear God's voice. But Jesus is very clear. He said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you made a full commitment that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, then you're wired to hear. Jesus said, my sheep, if you're born again, my sheep are wired to hear my voice. And there's no shortcut, folks. There is no shortcut to be able to hear God's voice. It's a journey. Uh, but here is what encourages me. We're talking about Elijah being this big anointed prophet. We're talking about Elisha 
being this anointed prophet. Well, there's another prophet, the first prophet, by the way, Samuel. And as we go back, uh, you'll read the story of Samuel when he's a young boy. And God, literally, he hears a voice, but he, he doesn't recognize the voice of God at all. He starts out kind of like us, like, man, I don't get it at all. He did not hear the voice of God. Eli had to basically help him to know that God was speaking to him. So Samuel started with no ability to hear God. But get this, at the end of his life, there's a unique statement. And it's this, that God did not allow one of his words to drop, meaning he was so in tune with God, so able to hear God's voice that when he prophesied, not one prophecy was off base. So here's a man that could not hear the voice of God at all, and at the end of his life, totally heard the voice of God. So I just throw that out as an encouragement to you. We can grow in our ability to hear the voice of God. So I would just encourage you, I'm not saying it's an easy journey, but to go before the God and be honest and say, Lord, I really got to hear your voice. It's so important so that I can hear your strategies, not just in emergencies. Here's emergency, but Lord, what's your strategy in my everyday life? Lord, what's your strategy for Tuesday after this soap? God, how do you want to speak to me? How do you want to direct me? So just be honest to God. Tell him that you want to hear his voice and be persistent. And I believe God's going to encourage you in the journey. And, and like Samuel, you and I can grow more and more to discern God's strategy. So that's a biggie I hear uh, in this story of Elisha. And the second thing, <clears throat> as we begin to wrap up, is that we serve a big, big, mighty God. A big, big, mighty God. And since we've been doing this miracle in motion, uh, there's two scriptures uh, that have grabbed a hold of me, and I'm trying to meditate on those and get them from my head into my heart and spirit. Uh, the one uh, is in Luke chapter 1. We're told basically uh, the angel goes to Mary and says, hey, by the way, you're going to have a child. And Mary is scratching her head like, what are you talking about? I can't get pregnant. I'm a virgin. It makes no logical sense to her. You say I'm going to have a kid, but I, I, I don't have a relationship with a man. And then I love what the angel says. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And I just, I pray that that would sink into our spirits. Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. As you face your situation, your problems, your heartaches, remember that nothing is impossible with God. And the second scripture that's really speaking to me, uh, it's found in Matthew 19. And it's the story of the rich young ruler. And this man comes to Jesus uh, and says, like, you know, basically what I got to be do to be saved. And and Jesus says, you got to do, you know, all these different things. Uh, and after that, uh, this is in Matthew 19. Uh, 
Anthony says, I honor my parents and, and I've done other good things. But he says this, the young man said to Jesus, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who had owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished. Then who can be saved? They're basically saying, if rich people are so tight and so wrapped into themselves, what's any hope that a rich man could ever give their life to Christ and go to heaven? Like, it can't be. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26. And looking at them, Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So I don't know what you're facing today. It could be a, a serious medical issue. We need to remember all things are possible in that situation. You know, you could be like the widow facing like a big financial issue. Maybe you've just been laid off your job. Where's the money coming from? We got to remember again, with God, all things are possible. You may be in a relationship situation that looks like a total dead end and catastrophe. An issue in a marriage where you feel like, you know, it's never going to work. We just might as well get a divorce and get it done with. Or you have a runaway child that's acting weird and you wonder, like, is this, is this, can this kid ever get him to his senses? We need to remember all things are possible in that situation. The same thing holds true even as we look at the wider picture in our church. I mean, we're doing a building expansion, not just to make a big building for the sake of that. We're building a bigger building so that we can touch more people. And more people can come to Christ and more people can become whole. But to accomplish that, you're talking about raising four million bucks. And from our perspective, humanly, from our human point of view, that looks like overwhelming, like four million dollars, like, whoa. But we got to remember that God's perspective is not our perspective. And his perspective is a lot, lot bigger than ours. So I think the Lord's basically said, hey, guess what? $4 million to me is a drop in the bucket. Hey, if he made the heavens, if he made the earth, if he makes all these planets out there, billions, trillions of planets out there, if he holds this planet in its orbit, if he watches over every human being, and coordinates our lives individually and, and billions of people together. If he can do all that, what's four million bucks to him? It's nothing. God can sovereignly touch people's heart. Boom, boom, boom. He could touch a stranger that hears about our campaign and a stranger that is very wealthy could literally give us a check for a million bucks. There are no limits to God. So, so let's remember our own situation that God can do miracles. Let's remember as we're looking at this campaign 
Let's look at it not from our human perspective, but let's see it from God's perspective that he's able to do exceedingly, the Bible says, abundantly more than we ask or more than we think. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. You are one big, big God. Lord, we pray we never shrink you uh, into our own human finite mind. Uh, but we'd always remember you are, you're just big. You're eternal. You know everything. You have all power in heaven on earth. Uh, so, Father, I don't know what uh, each of my brothers and sisters may be facing out there. Uh, as they may be feeling like, just like this widow, like I am in a big fat mess and I can't get out of it. I need a miracle. Uh, so, Lord, I don't know what's going on in each life, but you do. So, Lord, I just pray uh, that you would perform your miracle. Uh, but, Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. What's your strategy, Lord? Help us not so much to tell you what we think you need to do, but Lord, I pray for each of us, help us to better hear your voice, to hear what is your plan, what is your strategy for us individually, and your strategy for us as a church. So Father, we thank you that all things are possible with you. May you get the glory and the honor through each of our lives, and it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Let the Lord lead and Lord, the Lord guide you. Amen.